Turning tonight to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, and we're going to look at the angel's message from heaven during this Christmas time, Luke chapter 1. Let's begin reading there in verse 26 of the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail thou that art highly favored, and the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary to the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and, shall, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, when she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible, And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. When news breaks today, within a few moments or seconds, uh, it's all over the world. We can at any time have access to breaking world events, both major and mundane, uh, any time of the day or night. Almost instantly we can find out about an earthquake in Turkey or a tsunami in Indonesia or tragic deaths of victims of terrorists in France or California or what the latest star is doing or who they're marrying or what, you know, what they think about something. Both the mundane and the earth-shaking are at our disposal at any moment. Satellites, cable, all kinds of media that our forefathers would have never dreamed of keep us well-connected and, and maybe even overly informed. But 2,000 years ago, things were much different. But no news event can equal that, however, the startling, amazing, and world-changing announcement that the angel Gabriel came to earth to give to Mary. The most important news event that ever took place, the most important press conference that was ever held, took place in the tiny village of Nazareth with a heavenly messenger uh, to a young girl named Mary. Gabriel's news in Luke chapter 1 is actually an announcement of an ancient prophecy that God made in telling that prophecy is about to be fulfilled. The announcement of Gabriel goes back to Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. unfolding the glorious plan of salvation of God for his creation. The first time the promise was given was also to a woman, but it was a much different situation, a woman whose eyes were stained with tears and whose 
life had been absolutely, tragically, and disastrously changed by her own doing. The Old Testament is filled with over 350 prophecies concerning the coming of the Messiah. When the resurrected Savior appeared to his disciples on the road to Emmaus, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 24 and verse 25, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He's referring to these 250 prophecies. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? Isaiah told us he would. And to enter into his glory. And at the beginning of Moses and the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so the news that Gabriel is announcing this evening to uh, uh, Mary is an ancient prophecy about to be fulfilled. The angels appearing to Mary with this breaking news uh, tells us that the Savior is come. The promised seed of the woman is now about to be born, and Mary, you're the woman. It is said that throughout the ages, the Jewish young girls all wondered if they would be the one who would be the mother of the Messiah. Because these prophecies were so clear. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son. Over and over again, we see these prophecies given. I want us to look at, first of all, the messenger, the one who brings this message. Verse 28 tells us, The angel of the Lord came into her. This is the second time in less than a year that the angel has made a journey all the way to earth to give a birth announcement. In verses 11 through 20, we read about the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, and we've been discussing John the Baptist's life and ministry on Sunday mornings. For hundreds of years, God's people had heard nothing from heaven. Over 400 years, there had been no added revelation from the Lord to his people. And then Gabriel is sent from heaven to prepare two families for two miraculous births. There are only two angels whose names are given to us in the Bible. The Bible tells us there are myriads of them. But interestingly, the Holy Spirit and God only reveals to us two of them. Michael, who is a super angel associated with events of power and strength. And the angel in our text, who is Gabriel. It seems as if Gabriel is God's press secretary, for lack of better words. The supreme heavenly messenger. I say that because in Daniel chapter 9, he comes to, or the angel comes to Daniel and gives the announcement about the 70 weeks of God's plan in redemptive history. But the most important assignment and announcement that Gabriel gives is here in our text to Mary about the birth of the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead. In Luke 1 verse 19, we get some important information about Gabriel. He tells Zacharias, when he's talking to him about the birth of John, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. This archangel, busy with the affairs of God's throne room, in that intimate circle of angels, if you will, in the very throne room of God, is sent from where those precious and holy secrets and the edicts are discussed. He's sent straight from the throne room of God to a young lady in an obscure village of Nazareth. Think of the, the distance, the dichotomy 
from the glories of the throne room of God, we can only imagine. Get, of course, Isaiah tells us a little bit about that place, doesn't he, in his revelation. But all the way from heaven's glory, from the, the balconies of heaven to a, 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 a little girl, young lady in an obscure vi- village called Nazareth. So Gabriel flies, if angels fly, uh, not to Rome, the, the capital of the world, not to even Jerusalem, the, the holy city, the capital city of the, the Jewish faith, but to an obscure village in Galilee. Amazingly, this area was called Galilee of the Gentiles, a place where Jews and Gentiles alike would hear of the Messiah. It's not just to the Jews this message is coming and to an area where the Gentiles would hear it as well. But from the heavenly message, messenger, I want us to look at the chosen vessel. Verse 27 tells us specifically that she was a virgin, espoused or engaged, betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgins, you see twice in that verse the emphasis the Holy Spirit gives us, the virgin's name was Mary. The name Mary is the Greek derivation of the Hebrew name Miriam, and it means exalted one. The Bible tells us nothing else about her. The word that the Holy Spirit chooses here for virgin is the Greek word parthenos, and its literal meaning in the Greek is one who has had no sexual relations. It could not be clearer. It could not be more specific. And yet this crucial teaching of the Scripture is often debated and even cast aside by those who stand in pulpits and who name the name of Christ amazingly, unbelievably. But I will tell you tonight, if that word is not, does not mean what it means in the Greek, and if, if, if Mary was not a virgin, then we cannot believe any other verse in the Bible whatsoever. You might as well cast the, the entire Bible aside. But it does mean that. The Holy Spirit chose that exact word and tells us twice in one verse as exactly what she was. We can be certain by the emphasis of the Holy Spirit's choice of words that Mary was truly just that, a virgin. Mary's marital situation followed the normal Jewish pattern. I'm sure you are reminded of that over and over again at Christmas time. But just for the sake of reminding ourselves, a girl who reached puberty at the age of 12 or 13, this was standard procedure among the Jews. They would betroth, the, the, the parents would arrange for their daughter to be betrothed or promised to a young man. Now, sometimes the marriage would not be consummated for years, although most Jewish girls would marry in their teens, but it doesn't mean that Mary was 12 or 13 years old. That's the time, the arrangement, the agreement between the girl's parents and the man's parents would arrange for their, their children to marry. It was as binding as an engagement, much more binding than our engagement. It was, in fact, the first stage of marriage. It was considered on the same level of marriage, even though every Jewish person would tell you that the marriage was not considered consummated until the marriage ceremony took place and uh, they exchanged vows and there was a, a, a celebration. And so the reason, however, and to be, I know we're on frank ground here, the reason that the parents would make that ar- arrangement at that early age is that the practice ensured that adolescent girls maintained their virginity until marriage. 
And so think of all the queens, the princesses, the wealthy ladies, the influential women that God could have chosen in which if we were on the committee, maybe would have chosen to bear the, the, the Son of God. And yet he chose a pure, virtuous young girl to raise his son. It's always amazing to me, the vessels that God chooses, just clay pots, just people like us. But his ways are not our ways, are they? That's for sure. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I want to remind us tonight as we're looking at the chosen vessel of the Lord that you and I are vessels too. And the question we should ask, am I a vessel of honor? Am I a pure vessel? Am I a vessel to whom the Lord can speak and I can be his hands and feet and mouthpiece? Because that's exactly what he intends for you and me to be. We too are vessels of honor, offering our bodies that we're beseeched as, uh, to offer them as living sacrifices. I want us to notice also the heavenly blessings that come with this announcement. Most news events are pretty mundane. The bare facts of who, what, when, where are given to us. But that's not the case with Gabriel's announcement. Verses 28 through 30 tell us that this message is from God and that it contains a blessing. We see there in verse 28, the angel came in unto her, and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee, blessed art thou among women. The word hail there simply means hello. It was a word of greeting. And no doubt Mary was alone. I've often wondered what she was doing. We can assume she was doing some housework, cleaning, cooking, or something. Maybe she was doing some mending or sewing. When the visitor appears to the room beside her, a, a young lady's days were filled at that time just to manage a household, to gather the water, to keep the fire going, to cook the meal. It was an all-day affair, so I'm sure she was not idly twiddling her thumbs. And he comes into the room where she was. I'm sure it startled her. She was not expecting someone, certainly not someone of this caliber. And he says, hello, Mary. Calmly, gently, he comes to her with reassurance and tenderness. Gabriel clearly tells Mary that, that God, is a, what he's about to do, is based on his grace. Notice the scripture does not say, Hail Mary, full of grace. That is not the greeting of Gabriel the messenger. But hail, or we could say, Hello, thou that art highly favored, the, the Lord is with you, blessed are you among women. That was the greeting that he gave. In other words, you have found favor with the Lord. May I tell you that anyone who has been saved has found favor with the Lord. Isn't that God's unmerited, uh, special, sovereign grace that is extended to us? These words are not praising Mary for her sinlessness or her worthiness. There's no mention of her worth or her sinlessness. The angel's message to her simply said that God had freely and sovereignly chosen her to give, and to give grace to Mary, just as he does to anyone in salvation, but he had given grace to her, and that that is what made her favored and blessed. Mary was unworthy in her own strength, just as any of us are. She was born a sinner, and sinners are in need of God's grace. Let me be very clear, the Bible in no place teaches that Mary was immaculately conceived or sinlessly, or that she had a virgin birth herself. That some groups erroneously teach that, but that there's nothing could be further. There's no there's no basis of that in the scripture. In fact, later on in verses 47 and 48, 
in her song of praise, which she bursts out of this beautiful song of praise that she sings this fact and calls Jesus her own Savior. Look over uh, just in, uh, in passing in verse 47. For he hath regarded the low estate. She's confessing that she's a sinner. The low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. And he that is mighty hath done great things, and holy is his name. Look in verse 47, one of the most important pronouncements from Mary's mouth. And my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. A sinless person doesn't need a Savior, but sinners stand in great need of a Savior. And Mary puts herself in that category with all of us, and she calls this one whom she is carrying in her body her own Savior. Mary was unworthy, but she was the recipient of God's grace. She did not reply in arrogance or in self-assurance, but quite humbly and in a holy amazement. I've always marveled at the spiritual maturity of this young girl. I mean, most people would have passed out, ran screaming and hollering, or saying, no, 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 this can't happen. I mean, there's all kinds of responses that could have happened, but she responds in such a mature way, and she could not have been but in her early teens, and she knew the, she was full of the Scripture. She knew the prophecies. How many teenage girls with an angel giving them this uh, weighty of a message today would respond in such a way and break out in such a song as she sings? In verse 29, she was troubled, and we can understand that. Anybody, uh, an angel comes to your house, it would trouble you uh, at, at Gabriel's announcement. And... and even though she heard it, she didn't understand how this could be. Her mind had to race to all the implications, all the, the accusations that would follow. She knew she was a sinner and did not deserve to receive God's grace, but that's why she called him my Savior. Mary's response shows that she was already a genuine believer, that she had repented of her sins and trusting, trusted in God's saving grace. I'm sure she pondered over and over again, why me? Wouldn't anyone ask that kind of question? Why would the Lord choose me? I hope you ponder that in your own salvation. Why did the Lord ever choose me? Why is it that I know of his grace, that I've been brought into his family? When countless ones, we've heard from our missionaries tonight, who are pleading with and trying to communicate with people the gospel, the grace of God. Why is it that we know it so freely and so early and so all around us, it's, it's available. Why? Why? It's a, it's a, all we could do is praise Him for His grace that has brought it to us. And she was afraid. As you can imagine, the angel assured her, don't be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. Gabriel was not coming in judgment, so there was nothing for Mary to fear. And not only do we learn of these heavenly blessings, but I want us to notice also uh, let me just say here that Proverbs 10, verse 32 tells us, reminds us, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he addeth no sorrow with it. But I want us to notice the child, the heavenly child. Gabriel tells Mary that she's going to miraculously conceive in her womb a son, and that his name would be Jesus. Look there in verse 32. He shall be great, he shall be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. The Davidic covenant is being repeated. All these things are being reiterated to her. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. 
Her son will be Jesus, the Savior, the, the King, and the Redeemer. And I'm sure that it was hard for her to process this information, that the, the baby boy that, that she would have would be uh, the Son of God, the long-promised Messiah. And yes, that, yet that's what she was hearing. And that's the, the message she was receiving. And so she asked in verse 34, How can this be possible since I have not known a man? A very logical question for a young girl who, had not, who was a betrothed, but the marriage had not been consummated. A very logical question for her to ask. Gabriel gives the only thorough, as thorough an explanation of the virgin birth that we find in the Bible. It is declared throughout the Scripture, but this explanation is the explanation that God gives us of how the virgin birth takes place. And you need to note it. In Luke, 2, Luke 1 and verse 35, And the angel answered, she said, How is this going to be? I have not physically known a man. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and, shall, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God, period. We learn several things about this divine uh, child from Gabriel's announcement. First of all, we learn of his saving work. He is born to die. He is born to be the Savior. Jesus was not a martyr. He was not a victim of circumstances. He said, he declared, I lay down my life and I will take it up again. The only person on earth that could do that. Look at his name. Jesus, Jehoshua. Jehovah saves the Old Testament Joshua. The God of the Old Testament was a saving God and his people knew it. Later, Luke outlines it in chapter 2, verse 11. He calls him Christ the Lord. Simeon says in chapter 2, verse 30, Mine eyes have seen your salvation. Anna, godly Anna, there was a believing remnant who were expecting the coming of the Messiah. Remember, aged Anna, all, all, all up in her 90s, in, in chapter 2, verse 38, gave thanks to the Lord and told everybody to look for redemption in Jerusalem about him. In Luke 19, verse 10, tells us why God took on a human body. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. We also learn not only of his saving work, which is so vitally important, but we learn of his perfect life. In verse 32, Gabriel said that he would be great. Now, that's one of those overused words that we sprinkle in our conversation all the time. Oh, that'll be great. I had a great time. This is a great day. Great, great, great. But Luke, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, chooses the word great to describe him. Christ's greatness is is best understood in relation to what the Apostle John wrote about him in his gospel account in John 12. In John 12, verse 37, But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed him not, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report, and to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes, and harden their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. These things said Isaiah when he saw his glory and spake of him. When did Isaiah see his glory? Well, we don't have to go very far to remember that. The same time he saw the glory of God in the temple, in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 10, 9 through 9 and 10, because the glory of Christ 
the greatness of Christ is the same as the glory or the greatness of God. I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And there Isaiah testified, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and upon a throne, sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple, and above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And he cried, one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door at the, moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. What a dramatic description there. Isaiah knew that one day God would be sending his son, the Messiah, to live a perfect life among his people to save them from their sins. But we also notice his title of deity. Look there in verse 32. He will be called the Son of the Highest. That's a very specific and qualifying description of him. Highest was a title used of God, showing that nobody was above him. If something is the highest, that is the supreme uh, height, isn't it? And God is, of course, the highest. It was used throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Mary would be familiar with it, that phrase, the highest. We see it sprinkled throughout the, in Old Testament usage. Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us this, this about Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory, Jesus the Son, the brightness of the Father's glory, and the express image of his person. That word express image in the old days, they would have a signet ring. The the the, the rich person or the king's seal, the royal seal here, they would melt wax on a document. And in that wax, the signet ring would be put. And it would be the express image would be the very thing that was in the signet ring. That's what the Holy Spirit says about Jesus Christ. He is the express, the exact image of his father. Jesus told his disciples, he who has seen me has seen my father. And I and my father are one. But lastly, I want us to look at his royal position. The story of Jesus will wonderfully conclude, we look forward to that event, with his sovereign rule over heaven and earth. Remember the covenant to Abraham and to David specified that this would be the case. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 32 and verse 33, of his kingdom there shall be no end. He shall be called the son of the, he shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the, th- uh, the throne of his father David because it was promised to him. David was told of his kingdom, his throne his, would never cease. The story of redemption will conclude not with Calvary or the resurrection, as glorious as that is, but the, with the great glory of the reign of Jesus Christ on David's throne over the, the nation of Israel by which he will establish an earthly kingdom that will stretch from shore to shore and from sunrise to sunset. There will be no place or person who will not be under the direct rule of the Son of God. The Bible, we believe, teaches for a thousand years that the Son of God will reign in what we refer to as the millennium, followed by the entrance of the eternal kingdom, the endless day, the day that we sing about and hear uh, prophesied in the scripture. King of kings, Lord of lords, we sing. The Old Testament writers understood this teaching. They were very familiar with it. The second psalm tells us this. Yet I have set my king, 
God's referring to his son. I've set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Jesus shall reign from shore to shore, till moon shall wax and wane no more. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. We will one day see him ruling and reigning, and I want you to know that we will rule and reign with him forever. The Hallelujah Chorus ends, He shall reign forever and ever. Gabriel's message to a young girl in an obscure village is the greatest news bulletin that ever was announced to a human being. This message was about God's amazing grace. We still sing about it, don't we? In fact, the coming of his son brought about this amazing grace to us, to Mary, to you, and to me. And I wonder if we close this meeting, have you invited the king of kings to rule over you? He is king whether you admit him to be king or not. In the, the psalm says, kiss the son. We are to go to him in, in, in repentance and faith. He will receive all who come to him. Oh, the door of salvation is wide open tonight. And it's a day of grace. And the, the Son of God with wounded hands invites us to come. He could go ahead and gladly and, and proudly, Joseph could take Mary as his wife and rejoice at the privilege of being chosen to raise and to teach the Son of God. Matthew makes it clear that Mary remained a virgin until after Jesus was born, implying that the normal relations between Mary and Joseph began after that time. In fact, they had other children Boys and girls, according to Matthew 12, verse 46, Matthew 13, verse 55, and Mark chapter 6, verse 3, they ask, is this not the carpenter's son, or not his sisters and his brothers with us? And they even name some of them, list their names there. Joseph followed through with God's command and named the baby Jesus, indicating that he believed what Mary said. Because remember, the name was given by the angel. Mary didn't choose the name, the the angel Gabriel said what his name would be, and Joseph followed through with it. He didn't name him after himself or his father or his grandfather or some ancestor. He named him exactly what the angel told him to name him. You'll call his name Jehoshua, Jehovah saves. And Joseph did exactly that. The Messiah, the Savior. This, the amazing fact of Jesus' supernatural birth is the only way to explain the sinless life that he lived on earth. The amazing fact of his supernatural birth is the only way to explain that. A skeptic who denied the virgin birth once asked a Christian, if I told you that a child over there was born without a human father, would you believe me? Yes, the believer replied, if he lived as Jesus lived. Well, Jesus was the only one who could meet up to that uh, expectation and to that because of his birth. What a glorious teaching as we uh, approach the season. May we prayerfully consider the things that the Holy Spirit reveals to us.